Let's open up our Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could, do, could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be also glorified together. We read that far this morning. Let's consider the teaching of the Catechism in Lord's Day 9 this morning. In the back of the Psalter, on page 7. Lord's Day 9. What believest thou when thou sayest, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who of nothing made heaven and earth with all that is in them, who likewise upholds and governs the same by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father, on whom I rely so entirely that I have no doubt, but he will provide me with all things necessary for soul and body, and further that he will make whatever evils he sends upon me in this valley of tears turn out to my advantage, for he is able to do it, being almighty God, and willing, being a faithful father. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are now beginning to consider the articles of the Apostles' Creed, and the first part of the Apostles' Creed is concerning God the Father, the second part, God the Son, and the third part, God the Holy Spirit. This morning, we begin to look at that first part on God the Father, the article of the Apostles' Creed in which we confess, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. As Christians, we believe, to use the words of our Belgic Confession of Faith in Article 8, that the Father is the cause, origin, and beginning of all things visible and invisible. The Son is the Word, wisdom, and image of the Father. The Holy Ghost is the eternal power and might proceeding from the Father and the Son. We also believe, according to Belgic Confession, Article 12, that the Father, by the Word, that is, by his Son, hath created of nothing the heaven, the earth, and all creatures, as it seemed good unto him. But this morning, the Heidelberg Catechism asks you and me a very personal question. It asks us a question about our personal faith. Notice that the Catechism is directing this question to you and to me personally when it says, What dost thou believe when you say, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. What do you personally believe? Every Sunday in the second worship service, you hear me read the Apostles' Creed, and hopefully you confess in your heart those very words. What then do you mean when you confess those words every Sunday? In James 2, verse 19, he says this, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. The devils also believe that there is one God. You believe that, but is that all that you believe? When we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, let this be our meaning that I not only believe this one God exists, but that I believe he is my God and my Father for the sake of Jesus Christ, and 
that I rely upon him so entirely that I have no doubt, but that he will provide me with all that I need, and he will turn all evils to my advantage. Let's consider believing in God our Father this morning. First of all, the gospel of God our Father. Secondly, our reliance on God our Father. And finally, our mighty God and willing Father. In this first article of the Apostles' Creed, we confess, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. God the Father is the maker of heaven and earth. Nobody was there in the beginning of this universe. Nobody was there to see exactly what happened and to see exactly how it happened. Nobody saw with the eyes of the flesh how this universe came into existence. But it is by faith. Hebrews 11 verse 3. By faith that we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. It's by faith and only by faith that we can know and understand how the universe came into being. And we understand by faith that this world did not leap into existence out of nothing all by itself. This world did not leap into existence out of nothing by chance. Something cannot come out of nothing all by itself. The universe did not come into existence all by itself. Nor did it pop into being through a massive explosion in which a single dense particle or atom expanded over billions of years and that space and time itself expanded ever outward, ever bigger, ever stretching, until through many billions of years of evolution, that original dense particle became the massive universe of galaxies and stars and planets and moons that we now observe today. But God the Father Almighty made the heavens, and the earth. God the Father, who always existed and who from everlasting has planned out every single creature, great and small, visible and invisible, in his counsel and plan, he, out of nothing, made the heavens and the earth and all that is in them by the word of his mouth. God the Father Almighty made time itself. Time did not always exist. Time has a beginning. Genesis 1 verse 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the beginning of time. There was no time before that beginning. God himself is above time. He is outside of time. He is infinitely exalted above time, and time is one of his creatures. God did not have a beginning, and God does not have any end. Beginnings and endings are the language of time. Beginnings and endings are things that happen within time, and God is not within time. 
God created that first beginning. God separated it from his eternal counsel and gave it an existence outside of himself so that time began. God poured forth as a mighty stream that passage of moments and seconds and minutes and hours that we know as time and history. But God himself is not within time. He created it. And God also created the heavens. The massive universe in which we live, the heavens above us, with all of the galaxies, with all of the stars and planets and moons and asteroids and meteors and comets and all of the beauties of the creation. God created the earth beneath us as well with the deep oceans that go down many miles and the mighty mountains that stretch up many miles. God created the forests and the fields, filling them with trees and lilies and roses and all the beauties of creation. He filled the sky above us with flocks of birds and the oceans with fishes of school, uh, schools of fishes. And God also created man. In the beginning, he created our first parents, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve did not have a human father and mother. God was their father by creating them. He created them out of the dust of the ground, and he created Eve out of the rib of the man, and he placed them into the Garden of Eden, the most beautiful place in the whole of the vast creation, in a garden. And God made that garden to be home. It was a home where he would dwell with them as their father. And he did dwell with them as their father, in love and faithfulness, providing for them all that they needed, caring for them, loving them, walking with them and talking with them. And they enjoyed perfect happiness and peace and joy in that beautiful paradise. But they were deceived by the serpent. The enemy of God took the form of the serpent, that most subtle of all beasts of the field, and slithered into the midst of the garden and began to speak to the woman there before those two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And she was deceived by the temptation of Satan. And Adam, her husband, was deceived. And they took the forbidden fruit and ate, contrary to the command of their father. And by disobeying their father, they forsook their father. And in them, we forsook our father. We turned our backs on him. We abandoned him. We wandered away from him like the prodigal son. We wandered off into the darkness of sin and the world and wickedness and decided that we thought sin was a greater pleasure than the fellowship of our Heavenly Father. And wandering off into the paths of sin, we became the children of a new father. We took Satan to be our father. We took that serpent who deceived us to be our father and we embraced him and we loved him and we adored him as our father and we became just like him. Lying, deceitful, corrupt, depraved, abominable children of darkness. 
walking in all the paths of sin, pride, murder, adultery, and all kinds of sins. We became the children, foolishly, by our own choice, forsaking our good and faithful father, the children of the devil. But the devil turned out to be a most wretched father, an abusive, oppressive, tyrannical father. And it soon became clear that he had lied to us, that he had deceived us, that he promised us happiness and life and joy and riches and power, and he gave none of those things to us because it turned out that he is a selfish father who cares for no one and nothing but himself his own power, his own advancement, his own kingdom, his own pride. And so we received what Paul calls in our passage the spirit of bondage to fear, being brought into the enmity against God that we were enslaved to as the children of the devil. We were also enslaved in the bondage of fear. Because to be the children of darkness and the children of Satan is to be a most fearful and terrifying thing. Because this abusive, wicked, selfish father who lied to us led us in the paths that end in death and hell and eternal damnation. There is only fear, dreadful, terrible fear as the children of the devil. But God did not abandon us when we abandoned him. God sent forth his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, the apostle says. And for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. God sent forth his only begotten Son, the Son of his everlasting love, the Son whom God within the blessed and holy Trinity from all eternity would beget and bring forth and dwell with him in the bonds of the Trinity, in the bonds of love and fellowship. Through the Holy Spirit, God sent forth his Son into the world, into the likeness of sinful flesh, in order by becoming flesh to lay down his life on the accursed tree of the cross, in order by shedding his own blood for us to break the chains that bound us to Satan, our abusive father, and to establish a relationship with our heavenly father that will last for all eternity, that will never be broken, that we can never lose and from which we can never wander or stray ever again. He came to deliver us from that wretched destruction of hell into which Satan would lead us, and to give us everlasting life with God, so that we would have God as our Father forever. And having died on the cross for our sins, to redeem us from the curse of sin and death, He arose from the dead and ascended into heaven, and now God sends forth his Spirit into our hearts. He sends the Spirit into us 
to make us free from the law of sin and death, to dwell in our hearts and to quicken our mortal bodies, to use the words of Romans 8, to quicken our dead, depraved, corrupt bodies by planting the new life of Christ in our hearts so that we would be born again, so that we would become the children of God, the children of light, so that we would begin to live already in this life as the children of God. He sends forth the Holy Spirit into our hearts to bring us home. Like the prodigal son in Jesus' parable, we have wandered away from home when we fell into sin. And every time we sin, we wander away from home. We say that we don't want God as our father. We say that we prefer to have Satan as our father. We prefer to walk in the pleasures of sin. And so we go astray and we walk in sin. But he sends the Spirit into our hearts to bring us back home. The Holy Spirit humbles us as we are walking astray. He humbles us like the prodigal, who after he spent all of his inheritance on harlots and riotous living, on sexual immorality, on greed, and all of the sins and pleasures of the flesh, and lost it all, he found himself working for a citizen of that country, feeding swine out in the mud and the muck of the fields. And suddenly, as he's brought low through the consequences of his sins, the Holy Spirit works in his heart to realize how foolish he has been. He works repentance so that the prodigal son says, I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. The Holy Spirit humbles us to realize that because of our sin, we don't deserve to have God as our Father. We're not worthy to be one of his sons and daughters, but simply to desire to be a hired servant would be better than to be the son of this wicked, abusive Satan. And so the Spirit leads us home. He leads us into the paths of repentance true and godly and sincere sorrow of heart over our sins so that we hate them and flee from them. And with our heads bowed down, we come home to Father and say, Father, please, I'm not worthy to be your son, but let me just be a servant in your house. And the Father then looks upon us and in his unbounded love and grace opens wide his arms and says, Let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And he wraps his arms around us and says, My son, my daughter, not a slave, a son. You are my son. Come, Let us rejoice and be merry. That's the lavish, unworthy, undeserved love of God for us. He sends forth the Holy Spirit in our hearts to assure us, as Paul writes in this chapter, Romans 8, 
We have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. The Christian life is not a life of bondage to fear. But we have received the spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Think of the lost son. Humbled, ashamed, coming home to father, not expecting, knowing he doesn't deserve anything. And the father wraps his arms around him. And no doubt with tears streaming down his face, he hugs his father back. Abba, father. Behold what manner of love the father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. I believe in God the Father, almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Furthermore, when you say that, when you make that confession of faith personally, we have to understand in the second place We're not only confessing that we believe that this God Almighty exists and that he is my God and my Father for the sake of Christ, but then also this. We're saying, and I believe in him. I trust in him. I rely upon him. I depend on him to provide me with all things necessary for body and soul. That in the second place. This faith is a reliance upon God. It is a confidence in God that is just like the confidence of a little child for his father. A little child, two, three, four years old and older, looks to his or her father and is confident that my dad is going to give me all that I need. He will provide me with all things necessary and my mother with him. And so also, when I say I believe in God the Father Almighty, I mean I trust in him. I rely upon him to give me all things that I need. This reliance upon God does not mean that we sit around and do nothing and wait for God to spoon-feed the things that we need to us in the same way that a mother would put her little baby in the high chair and have the little bowl of baby food there and take the spoon and put that food right into the baby's mouth so the baby doesn't have to do anything. No. God calls us to work. While we trust in him, God calls us to work. God the Father Almighty made the heavens and the earth in six days, as we heard again in the Ten Commandments this morning. He worked for six days, and he commands us to work for six days. And 
Our Father in heaven warns us, too, that if a man will not work, neither should he eat. If you're going to be lazy, if you're not willing to go to work, if you're not willing to get a job, if you're not willing to be diligent with your hands or with your mind and the occupation that God has given to you, then neither should you eat. Neither should you expect to receive the things that you need for the body. But you ought to work diligently, day in and day out. And when it comes to the spiritual needs of our souls, too, God commands us to rest one day per week. Working six days, we are to rest one day because in that one day, the Sabbath day, the Lord's day, we are to use the means of grace. We are called to come to the house of God, to come to church, to make use of the means by listening to the preaching of the gospel and using the sacraments and hearing the reading of the scriptures and enjoying the fellowship of the saints because God is pleased to use those means to feed us, to provide us with what we need for our souls. And he commands us to use those means. But when we say, I believe in God the Father and I trust in him to provide me with all things necessary for the soul and the body, we mean that as we work and as we use the means of grace, all the while we are trusting wholly and entirely in God. We're not trusting in our work. We work, but we don't trust in that work. We work, but we don't rely upon our own strength, our own efforts. We rely on God. We come to church. We listen to the preaching. We take the sacraments, but we don't rely upon that preaching. We don't rely on those sacraments. We rely upon God, our Father, to use them to feed us. That's faith. It's a reliance on God. We rely upon him to give us that paycheck every week. To put that food on our tables every week. To keep that roof over our heads during the storm. To keep those clothes on our back in the winter when it's cold. To give us the ability to go to the grocery store and buy those, that food and that drink and all the things that we need. We rely upon God to give us the medicine that we need, to give us the doctor that we need, the surgery, the operation. We rely upon him to use those operations and surgeries for our good and for the good of our children, to heal us, to strengthen us. We never ought to rely upon the creature, but always on our creator and father while we use the means that he gives us. That is faith. Faith means that we even rely upon God for our faith. We don't even rely on our faith. For faith. We could lose our faith any day if it wasn't for God. We rely upon him to preserve our faith. We rely upon him to preserve us so that we keep relying on him. We rely on him for everything for the comfort that we need, for the peace of mind that we need when things are not going well. We rely upon him to grow in the Christian life, to grow in grace 
and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We rely upon him to break the chains of indwelling sin, sinful habits and addictions and behaviors. We can't do that. God can. and We rely on him to give us sanctifying grace. We rely on him to give us wisdom to make good decisions in our lives. We can't make good decisions, but God gives us wisdom, and we rely on him for that wisdom. Do you believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? And do you trust in him to provide you all things necessary for the body and soul. Hear the words of our Lord Jesus in Matthew 6, where he says, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, but your heavenly Father feedeth them, Are ye not much better than they? Furthermore, believing in God the Father Almighty means that we rely upon him to turn all evils that he sends upon us in this valley of tears to our advantage. The Catechism teaches us that the evils that we experience in this valley of tears are sent upon us by our God and Father. Now, when we confess that the sufferings of this present time come to us from our Father in heaven, we're not denying that the devil has a role in those things. All we have to do is read the book of Job, and we see in the very first chapter that the devil has a great role in the evils that we suffer. The devil is the one who hates us. That abusive father wants us back. He doesn't want to let us go. He doesn't want us to escape from his clutches. He wants to drag us back under his oppressive control to beat us down and to destroy us and cast us into hell with him. He is the one who often brings havoc and temptation and destruction into our lives so that we shed tears. But in that very same book of Job, we learn that all of the terrible work that Satan does is under the sovereign power and direction of God so that he is not able to do one thing to us except the Lord our God allows it and sovereignly determines it, and rules over it in every detail. That's why after Job in that terrible, tragic day, when he lost all of his children, when he lost all of his servants and possessions, when he who was once one of the wealthiest men in the East was brought very low, he said, The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord. The Lord gave. The Lord hath taken away. That was his confession. Sometimes the children of God, the sons and daughters of God, suffer great tragedies. The book of Job is there to teach us that. 
to show us that sometimes the children of God suffer the most unimaginably terrible tragedies so that their hearts are broken. They become downtrodden, beaten down. All of God's children suffer the evils of this present time in the valley of tears, sicknesses of the body and the mind, financial distress and trouble. The expenses go up, the bills get higher and higher, and the income goes down. Our job is lost. We experience the calamities of nature, the storms, the thunder, and the lightning. Some of God's children suffer the earthquake under the feet or the erupting of the volcanic lava or the hurricane or the typhoon. Some of God's children suffer crippling poverty in third world countries. There are the calamities of the church when there is controversy, when there is hatred and division, when the church divides, when there are frustrations and disappointments of life. We experience those things. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death, a valley of tears. But when our hearts seem to break into a million pieces and the tears flow down our faces, as the children of God in our lowest lows, in the deepest depths, in the greatest sorrows, we confess I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. He is my God and my Father for the sake of Christ. And I rely on him so entirely that I have no doubt. But he will turn all these evils to my advantage. Do you believe that? Do you say with the Apostle Paul who suffered shipwreck and stoning and who was rejected by his own everywhere he went, who was persecuted and hated viciously for the sake of the gospel, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. The sufferings of this present time, if I should weigh them in the balance next to the glory that shall be revealed in us, are not worthy to be compared because the glory that is to come is so great, so unimaginably great. The bliss, the joy, the happiness that I'm going to experience when the glory of God is revealed in me in heaven is so unimaginably greater than the sufferings of now that I'm able to bear them. And we say with the Apostle in verse 28 of this chapter, we know, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, 
yea, rather, that is risen again, who sits at the right hand of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall angels or principalities or powers or things present or things to come or life or death, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Jesus said in Matthew 10, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore. Ye are of more value than many sparrows. And the Catechism captures that in Lord's Day 1. What is thy only comfort in life and death? that I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And therefore, the Catechism says later in that Lord's Day, without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Yea, all things must be subservient to my salvation. God is my God and my Father. On what grounds can we be so certain And have no doubt that God will provide us with all that we need and turn all evils to our advantage. Two grounds given by the Catechism. First of all, because he is able to do it, being Almighty God. Who do you believe in? I believe in God the Father, Almighty omnipotent. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. He is the one in whom I believe. God is the mighty one. Think again of a little child. Children love to boast about their fathers if they have a good and faithful father because they think that there is not a man on the earth who is stronger than their father. There is not a man on earth who is better, greater, mightier than their dad. He knows all the answers. He provides them with all that they need. That's a father. We fathers know that's not true. But our little children, they look to us as being able to give them all that they need and to protect them from all dangers. And they trust in us to do that. But we fathers can only do so much. We're not almighty. We're not omnipotent. But God is omnipotent. There are no limits to his power. There are no bounds to his might. He has all power in heaven and on earth, and nothing, nothing is too hard for the Lord. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that worketh in us, he is the almighty God. Do you believe in him? Do you believe in God almighty? That he is able to do anything. He's able to provide you with all things that you need. There is no evil, there is no suffering, there is no tragedy that is so great that he is not able to turn it to our advantage. He's able. He's almighty. 
Do you need proof of that? The proof is all around us. All we have to do is go outside after church and look up into the deep blue sky. He made that. All we have to do is go outside at night and look up into the star-studded heavens and gaze and gaze and try to penetrate with our gaze into those starry heavens. He made that. He made those galaxies. He made those stars and those planets and those moons. He's the maker of heaven and earth. He is able to do wondrous things. Believe in him. And in the second place, we can rely on him because he's not only able. Maybe you say, oh, I believe he's able. But is he willing? Is he willing to use his power for me? And the Catechism tells us he is, because he is our faithful Father. Listen to Jesus again in Matthew 7. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? Father, may I have a piece of bread and a piece of fish to eat? Here's a stone, son. Here's a snake to bite you and harm you. What father would do that? Jesus says. If ye then, being evil, we're evil, he says. But if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? How much more? The perfect father, the faithful father. He is more faithful than our human fathers. Our little children look to us and they not only believe we're able, but they believe we're willing to give them what we need, what they need. They believe that because they've experienced that in the past if they have a godly father. But we human fathers are not perfectly faithful. By far, far from it. Not perfectly consistent. Not perfectly wise. Sometimes we give our children things they shouldn't have that aren't good for them. Allow them to do things that they oughtn't to do. God, our Father in heaven, is a perfectly faithful Father who knows exactly what we need, when we need it. He is willing to give it to us. Psalm 36, verse 5, Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. And thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. Do you ask how God is a faithful father when he sends tragedies into our lives? Maybe you've never suffered any great tragedies in your life, like others of God's children have. And maybe you've never really suffered that temptation, the question that arises out of the despairing, broken-hearted child of God. How can God let this happen to me? How can God be faithful when I suffer such brokenness and pain? 
And I answer you, first of all, there is deep mystery in the ways of God. His ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts than our thoughts. And we don't always know why. God didn't give Job an answer. He spoke to him out of the whirlwind in his brokenness as he was scraping his skin from the boils and blisters after losing his children and his possessions. God simply said to him, Job, where were you when I made the heavens and the earth? Were you there? There's mystery. And that mystery comforts us too. We don't have to know the the reasons why always. All we have to know is God is never, ever against us. He is never destroying us in his wrath. He tests us to reveal our faith in those deepest of moments to the glory of his grace. When in the deepest part of the valley of tears, in the very moment of tragedy, which I've seen, and probably you have too, the child of God has just lost their child in a grievous car accident, for example. And in the very moment, in the hospital, watching their little one die, the child of God says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And God says, and I love you. And my love and grace are made perfect in your sufferings and manifested. To all. As our Father, God sends pain in our lives for our good. If your little one is sick and you take your little baby to the hospital and he or she needs to have an IV put into their blood vessels to put medicine into their body to help them get better. And because they're just a little baby, their blood vessels are so tiny and thin that the nurse has to poke your baby again and again and again, and she's crying and crying and crying. As a good parent, you don't say to the nurses, whoa, stop, stop, stop. I can't take this anymore. I can't take it. I can't take the the cries of my little one. Because you know They have to get that in there so that they can get the medicine into her so that she can be healed. She needs it. God does that to us. As our good father, he doesn't take away the pain because he knows we need it. That pain is not destroying us. That pain is administering to us the chastenings, the trials, the afflictions by which God is going to heal us. It's a spiritual healing. Just as the surgeon with his knife might cut open your body to remove that malignant tumor, 
God, with his surgeon's knife, sends trials and tears and sufferings to cut out of us the malignant tumors of pride, self-confidence, foolishness, worldliness. He does that. It's for our good. Because when we are weak, then we are strong. And his grace is sufficient for us in the valley of tears. He sends us sufferings finally in the last moment to give us the greatest good, to take us home. So that we can live in this valley of tears by faith, knowing that our Savior has gone before us to prepare a place for us. And when he has prepared that place for us in our Father's house of many mansions, then he will come for us and take us so that we will be where he is. We will see him face to face and all tears will be wiped away and this weary night will pass and we will awake to be with him. And then, as we look upon our Heavenly Father in the face of Christ, We will enjoy pleasures forevermore. Amen. Our faithful Father and God in heaven, we give thanks to thee for the gospel that thou art our God and Father for the sake of Christ. We pray that thou would use the preaching of thy word this morning to build us up in the faith, to comfort our weary souls, to direct our hearts to thee, so that in the valley of tears we may find comfort in all circumstances and we may find joy, knowing that thou dost work all things together for our good.